You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast for today. I'm Ed McGrogan here with Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the Toronto Masters, a little look ahead to a next week's event. Um, you know, it's a it's a tournament that's very fortunately scheduled. It's you know, it's right after it's the tournament where all the big names reconvene after their little Wimbledon break, and it has a little bit more anticipation, I think, than usual to see you know what's going to happen where the story's left off really in the air. And Steve, you're heading to there um, on Sunday or this weekend. Um, two of the biggest names, obviously, who are going to be back are Federer and Nadal. Um, I guess, what are your expectations for them and thoughts about their well, it, play? It is. It does feel like the opening of a second season almost. I've never felt like there was this much of a break after Wimbledon before. I feel like it's going to be hard for these guys to complain about about problems in scheduling after after basically they've had a month off, which I think has been good because now Toronto seems Toronto takes on you know sort of new life. It, it's not you know if it's not quite the U.S. Open, it is the first time everybody's going to be back and the biggest. I guess the biggest thing to look for, the biggest change, is Roger Federer as a coach now, Paul Anacone, who we know worked with Pete Sampras in the later part of his career, and and I think everybody everybody agrees that it's a it's a good fit. Uh, Anacone knows how to you know get a guy like that motivated. You know he he knows what Sampras went through even after later part of his career when when he already achieved a lot. How to keep you know keep that type of player going? I also I talked to Paul Anacone a few years ago about Federer. And just I mean, the only, I I was I was I shouldn't have been surprised, but he he knew his game, you know, exceptionally well. He 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 talked about how Federer was was the best at opening up the court from the middle of the court using using angles. There was something special about Federer's game in in that way. I don't know if we'll see him focus on that, or maybe you know maybe there'll be something in the way Federer Federer locates the ball. Who knows? But that'll be interesting anyway to see to see that relationship and and with Nadal this is the first time I can you know he's he's at a at a career peak and he also he comes in you know it's a good situation for him he's he's coming into the into the second half of the year more rested he hasn't he doesn't have any you know he obviously didn't ha- didn't have any serious knee problems at, at Wimbledon so he'll come in more motivated probably to win the U.S. Open and maybe more confident than he than he has been so we'll see you know this this will be. Um, this will be an interesting start. Yeah, I mean, it's it has some – in of 2008 when Wimbledon happened there, when Farron Nadal, Nadal comes out on top, you have some sort of sense that it could it, – it's like that again. I, I went to the tournament actually in 2008, and we were kind of wondering what Roger – you know, what was his next move would be. This was, a, this was a thing that happened for the first time in his career, and I'm walking around the grounds, and I stumble into his center court match with Jill Simone, and he promptly just – he don- bombed donates yeah. the third set to him. And then Nadal, for his part, he goes on to continue. He ends up going to win the Olympics, and he wins a tournament. He beats he beats Nicholas Kiefer, of all people, in the final. I think when you look at that result, you see there is kind of some, in this event, there might be some order and some chaos as well at the same time. Like, um, you know, there could be some, pro- some surprise players because of the breaks, but the last four champions of this event actually are... Federer Nadal, Andy Murray's the defending champion, and Djokovic also won it in 2007. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how many of them won the U.S. Open? That's a good question. Uh, fouled Toronto, probably just fouled Toronto with an open win. Probably just Federer. Yeah, that was in 06. That yeah. was, it would have been Federer yeah. for sure. Well, it is kind of funny. You do have the year divided. What's happened in tennis, I think, in a way, is that the years really, it's almost become, uh, the years become sort of polarized in a sense more than it was it was almost more organic and unified 
you know, a couple of years ago. Now you've almost got two, uh, a split year. You've got everything coming up to Wimbledon, and then you've got everything, everything after, you know, uh, and there's a break in between. There's team tennis gets in there to make a little noise and, and to sort of provide kind of a natural break between the two somehow. And then it's almost like, you, you know, you hit the reset button and start over. So, uh, you know, you've got the, and the highlight events in the second half, of course, of the U.S. Open, uh, the Davis Cup Finals, um, throw a Fed Cup Final in there as well, I guess, and then the year-end championship. So the, it's becoming a, a, a two-part year rather than a continuous, what you would think would be a continuous 12-month. Yeah, and if you, I guess if you go by that sort of template, you can maybe you can explain why a guy like Del Potro last year who just tore it up in the summer and he just, you know, he had some, he played well at the French last year, but he made his he made his money in the summer. And then he went on just to go all the way at the Open. So I guess if it is a new sort of season, I mean, you could see you could see the established players doing well, but you could also see somebody who's hot really carrying. I suppose it that that helps Nadal more than than it has in the past. If he you know he he is good at leading up to a big. He's shown in the clay court season over the years. He's good at at carrying his momentum to a certain point. And maybe this is an opportunity. He has Toronto, Cincinnati in the Open, a sort of contained part of the year where he won't get too worn down. Well, it's great for Federer. I mean, Federer has a chance to regroup now. Federer can literally look at the first half and say, okay, I lost the first half, but it's the second, you know, the final score isn't until the end of the second half, so I could still win the second half, basically. I mean, Federer goes and has a good summer, wins the U.S. Open. Um, that would be it. I mean, that's that's the key there. If he wins the U.S. Open, he and Adali Chef two slams, and you know, whatever the rankings say, whatever, you know, the pundits say, you basically, you know, you've got two, two men who once again divide the tennis kingdom, so Federer basically is right back on track. If he doesn't win the U.S. Open this year, then there are going to be a lot of he's going to he's going to be having a miserable time answering a lot of questions about whether he's lost a step, whether he's lost his motivation, all these other things. What so, do you think, Pete? What do you think of Anacone as his coach? I know you you talked to Sampras, Pete Sampras, a lot about Paul. Do you, you think it's a good fit? Oh, I think it's a great fit. I, I, I wrote about. It. I called Paul Anacone. We talked for a long time, and I promoted him as Federer's coach last year when he was going through that. When he was, uh, I guess it was he maybe two years ago now when he was the when when he sort of does Federer need a coach outcry was was pretty loud and uh, we had a nice long conversation about uh, about Roger. I agree with you. I mean, I think Anacone definitely knows my experience was the same. It wasn't as if Alec, you know, Paul didn't say, oh, Roger who? You know, what is he? Is he righty or lefty? You know? Right, right. Uh, no, he, he knows the game, Colton. He actually, you know, I wouldn't say he was eager to coach Federer because he just started with the LTA or just been working with them and just had, you know, sort of decompressed from the Sampras era. But no, he was very open to that idea and I, I think, in fact, I think what he, if anything, he downplayed his interest in that because he didn't want to seem like he's you know throwing uh, you know throwing a hail mary down there saying please pick me pick me for your coach. But he he definitely wanted. I think it's a great fit. Look, I mean, the reason I think it's a, uh, particularly think it's a good fit is nothing to do with the X's X's and O's of the game. I mean, nobody's going to teach Federer a whole lot about strategy and about things like that. Uh, what, what what he will be is a good companion for Federer, and I think I, I really think guys need that. You know, especially uh, you know when. The spouse is otherwise occupied with the two kids in Federer's case. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think that can be a very valuable asset. Just a guy he can, you know, the guy to watches his back, a guy he can have dinner with. And Anacone's not one of those, you know, I'll make the dinner reservations. I'll, I'll set up the golf date. Let me change our airline tickets. He's really more of a, you know, it's more of a man-to-man kind of relationship potentially there. And I think that would be good for The him. only question I would say, I think, I think there was talk a few years ago when Jose Higueras worked with Federer briefly that he had trouble sort of inserting himself into Federer's group, into his entourage. There was some talk about that, that that didn't, he had, you know, Federer's, 
camp is pretty tight, and Higueras had trouble finding a spot there. We'll see. We'll see whether Anna, I, th- I think Anacone will be able to do that, but I think that is that could be a question. Yeah. Well, one good thing about Anacone in that regard is that he's a very quiet guy, and a pretty independent, you know, pretty he, you know, pretty introspective, uh, you know, maybe a shy kind of a guy a little bit. He's always he's a very soft spoken man, as probably everybody knows, and he, you know, he's he, he uses fewer words rather than more words. So you know, his presence won't be nearly as intrusive. The other thing, place I, could, I think he could really really help Federer. He's a Paul's a very you know he's a classic quote student of the game unquote. All right, granted, so is Brad Gilbert, some of these other guys. But you know, I think with Paul, I think what Federer could really help is some some help scouting. I mean, you know, once Federer you know gets a report saying the guy he plays next, you know, is is doing such and such with his backhand, or he's he tends to you know uh, want to try to quicken points, and if you actually work his strength longer, you might do better because he gets impatient and goes for the big shot too early. Anacon will definitely pick out those trends and things. And scouting, I think, is is a really over important and often overlooked aspect of of the game. Yeah, well, I mean, one-on-one battles, so you can, like you say, for scouting, I think there's a lot to be seen for, you know, you determine a weakness of your one opponent, and you can really exploit that. It's not like in team sport where there's so many different players colliding at once against you. It's, you know, it's a one-on-one thing, and that's, I think you're right about that, where it could be a, a pivotal thing. Um, Federer and Nadal, incidentally enough, with their with their new rankings of one and three, they could actually be in the semifinals. It's a little farther down to look ahead, but, but we were, there's actually a lot of potentially really good quarterfinal matches too that we were looking at how the rankings have shaken out since Wimbledon and um you see like Andy Roddick down number nine uh Burditch number eight in the world you know guys like Del Potro won't be there obviously with injury but um Sotoring as well figure into the mix um we haven't really touched on Djokovic either he'll be back for the first time since Wimbledon any of these guys kind of um yeah, interest you to see how they're how they I stack Burditch, up. Burditch to start. He's the top seed in in DC this week, which is surprising. It's surprising to see him seated above Andy Andy Roddick. Um, and you know, obviously Burditch beat Federer at Wimbledon. He made the finals at Wimbledon. Where does he go from here? That's I think that's interesting. He'll have he'll have more more attention on him. He'll have more pressure. That hasn't been um, his you know handling that has not been his forte in the past. We'll see. We'll see how that works. Also, Andy Murray, he he also split with his coach um, recently, Miles. Miles, and he he seems to be in a little bit of there's a little bit of confusion. He has he's had Alex Karecha and Miles working with him for a while, and that that went as far as it could, I guess. And he didn't play. I I he lost he lost in L.A. He took a late a late um, entry into into L.A. Um, and didn't play a great final against Sam Curry. He almost won the match, but he played his he. He's um, sort of typical defensive uh, style, and Squarey, who who um, is ranked, you know, significantly below him, was able was able to beat him. That wasn't that wasn't a great start to the to the hard court season. Yeah, for but Murray, he got so to the we'll final. See. That's you know, he, that's pretty. That's he's got to be feeling pretty good. He about did, but that, I, I would I would say that he's a guy who could use who could use a change or maybe like Federer, like a a different a coach or or just a. Maybe it has to happen at the end of the year, but a, a new way of looking at his at his game if he's if he's going to continue to to go to move up. I never understood, I never understood the Karecha connection myself. I mean, Karecha's a heck of a nice guy, no question about it. Probably probably a very good coach. But there's you look at their games, you look at their results, you look at their histories, and you know I'll, I'll be darned if I can see. I mean, if I were you know who would go who would go to Karecha for coaching? Well, you know. You know, I would say you're a guy who's looking to improve his consistency. You know, a guy who's looking to to master the clay court game, 
those kinds of things. So I mean, I don't know. It, it, it was, was rich. I think it was originally he got him for the clay court season. Then he stuck. He stuck with him. Maybe they got along or he liked him. And I think he also said that he liked having a guy there who had been had been in big matches. I mean, Correcta had been to the, you know French Open finals. Uh, unlike the other guys in his in his group, Correcta had he was somebody he could go to for for. Talk, you know, to talk to about big matches. About how to lose big matches in the finals. <laughs> I guess Koretsch did a great job, you know. <laughs> Maybe. Wonderful guy, Koretsch, by the way. Can't help but like the guy. Yeah. He's, a, he's a great guy. But Maybe. but he did have a problem in big matches. You know, uh, Koretsch was, you know, basically you still look back on that year. Moya beat him in the final at the French Open. A lot of people really felt that Koretsch gifted it to him. He was such a nice guy. You know, he had his countrymen out there against him that he kind of enjoyed the moment. He kind of, you know, didn't want to, he didn't want to ruin Carlos's moment, I guess, and he didn't. So, uh, again, I did that, that period to me was always a little puzzling. If you're looking for consistency on clay, maybe he could help out your your uh, Nicholas Almagro, the bandwagon mm-hmm. driver, Pete Voto. Oh, plenty Nicholas of seats driving. That. Plenty of seats still available. I'm checking on StubHub right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> good. Get on, folks, because this guy is awful good. Yeah. If he had two more inches, he would be he would be hurting a lot of people. He is he is hurting a lot of people. He's playing well. I I look to him to have a good hard court season. I think. Uh, I, ex- I expect big things. I, mean, I think Soderling is going to be very, uh, going to be going to be a real factor in these next couple slams. When uh, I first saw Almagro and first saw Nadal. I thought Almagro would be the better player, and then and then Almagro <laughs> beats him o one and three in the o eight French Open. And Nadal, yeah, like yeah, Nadal. Yeah. Um, the last group of guys I want to discuss is um, you know with the Masters level event here, more players, bigger money, uh, ranking points. It serves as a very good measuring stick for. For the Americans, um, Query Isner and Marty Fish, you got to bring into discussion now after the summer he's had. Um, they've really kind of run through a lot of the minor, the lower level, 250 and 500 tournaments. And I think we've all kind of wondered what their ceiling is, I think. And, and this year might be the best year to assess that because all three have had, you know, big, really big moments. They all seem to be playing well, seem to be healthy. And I think. The next few weeks um, in Toronto and Cincinnati could be very telling for them to see. You know, obviously the biggest test is going to come in a major, but this is a nice you know exam for them too. Yeah, this is the part. This is where they haven't done it. Query hasn't. Query and Isner haven't done as well in these in these in the Masters and then of course in the Slams and Fish, Fish as well. Fish has had his ups and downs. He's been to the final of Cincinnati, but um, and Indian, Indian Wells. Wells actually, yeah, and Indian right. Wells. Yeah, but the, but in general, these this is where these guys if they're gonna if they're gonna make any further inroads. And I know Query has talked about how he doesn't even care about 250s at this point. He's sure he was exaggerating, but but he's played enough of those. He's shown that he can win those. And, and, and this, you know, a Masters 1000 is where where he hasn't done it so far. So well, if you look we'll at see. Query's uh, remarks yesterday after he he loses to, um, what's his name, the guy he Tip beat Sarovich. the previous week, Tip Sarovich, you know, he... Uh, you know, he, he was asked if he was bothered by that loss. You know, he, he sounded almost happy to lose. I mean, I don't want to cause any controversy here, here but I mean, basically he said, oh, no, you know, this doesn't worry me at all. You know, I've played a lot of matches in Los Angeles, and I'm sure that, you know, his whole, his, you know, the way he took that loss in stride, you know, A, tells you that, no, he did not feel devastated. He doesn't feel like, you know, he suffered some big setback. But more importantly, I think, you know, what he's saying is, you know, hey, you know, I really don't, you know, I don't mind getting a little break now because we got some big, big tournaments yeah. coming up, when, and that's where I need to do well. When I saw that loss, I th- actually just thought that's a good loss. That's a good loss for Query. He, he doesn't like to play three straight weeks, and he had that. He had four straight weeks coming we're not, up. We're not easy in 78 minutes. Tipsarovich hit 16 aces. You know, it was over and out. Mm-hmm. Any uh, anything else you're looking forward to seeing over there, Steve? I mean, you're looking forward to see Frank Dancevich on center court, 
Stancevich, he's hurt, right? Is he, he, he going to make it? Oh, I, uh, he might have ran to a scoreboard, I thought I saw something. I'm not even joking. Something. He's something. run into a lot of scoreboards <laughs> in his life. Always well, <laughs> oh, on the wrong end. Well, there's a, any uh, lower any who's this year's Nicholas Kiefer? I think I'm, I'm going to give Steve an assignment here. Let's make Steve going right about the uh, wild cards because a bunch of Canadian boys got him, and you know those names are pretty Peter obscure Polanski. names. Yeah, this is my chance. This, this is your is chance. 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 Let's Philip see how Bester, Canada does. Philip Philip Bester. That'd be interesting because Bester's. Bester was once a very, very promising player, no question about it. And he had he was kind of touted as potentially another Sampras, believe it or not. Now, you know, granted, those labels are thrown around all the time, but he had he had he also had a much more of a serve and volley game. People actually looking for to him as maybe a guy who could have a decent pro or a good pro career playing serve and volley tennis, even under today's different conditions. Uh, he had some personal issues, I think, uh, mm-hmm. that he had to endure with his family and stuff going through. So he's, you know, he was kind of knocked off track there. But, uh, but hey, you never know. Let's see. He and Polanski, it shows like how for every Nadal that comes up, there's, you know, there's 50 guys we talk about that you, you just never hear from again. Yeah, I, I, I suspect the only Canadian that's going to be out of the first round is Daniel Nestor and Double. So uh, <laughs> see him while you can, I guess. Don't make me go see that one. Okay, well, we'll – I'll take that assignment, I guess. Um, that's it for now, and we'll be back next week to talk about the tournament as it progresses, and Monday with a recap of the weekend with Pete Bodo and um, whoever wants to stop by. Let's drag Parada in here or somebody. Yeah, he has been a little, he's been AWOL lately. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get him back into Summertime, studio. go figure. Yeah. All right, well, thank you for listening, and uh, talk soon. Bye. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.